Hey there, welcome to episode 13 of Can I Borrow Your Mind? Thank you for joining me. I'm really glad. If this is your first time tuning into this podcast, I think you've picked a great episode. If you've listened to other ones, um, yeah, sweet. <laughs> That's great. But this is, I don't know why, well, I don't know why. This was one of my favorite episodes for a bunch of reasons. I spoke to Patrick Liversey. Patrick Liversey, if you don't know who he is, he's an actor and writer. He went to drama school at VCA um, a while ago and since then has written some amazing theatre shows. He wrote a show called The Boy George. That was like his debut show. And um, how's this for an idea for a for a theatre show? It's set in the future and it's Prince George played by Pat as a 14-year-old boy in his bedroom trying to come to terms with his place in the world and the fact that he's part of a monarchy and the fact that this monarchy might not be the best thing in the world or for the world while outside his walls the monarchy begins to crumble and he's and he's sort of trying to figure out his next move um isn't that a crazy i just think that's such a cool idea for a play his second play is like I won't tell you about it. He's got another play that we talk about in this podcast called Gone Girls. And that's as well just such a cool idea for a play. Um, I'm not going to like tell you too much about him. He, he's he starred in some other plays. He starred in Quanda um, with with Tom Ballard. And he's been in lots of, lots of acting work. I... I, I don't want to go on about it too much. I just feel like he's such a great storyteller. And in this podcast... You can really hear that he just um, he's just got a really good way of telling stories, and I listened back to edit it, and I just love the way that he speaks. I think it's brilliant, um, and he, he he gets really personal in this podcast, and it's it's beautiful. It's really really beautiful, really uplifting, really intelligent. It's everything that I want this podcast to be. So thank you so much for joining me, Pat. Um, I yeah I don't really want to do too much of an introduction other than that if you'd like to see me do stand up comedy um I'm doing some gigs soon I'm doing a gig this weekend so that's Sunday uh fuck I don't know when that is but maybe like around the end of November <laughs> it's Wednesday today and it's this Sunday I'm doing a gig at the SB in St Kilda I think it's at six o'clock. Arj Barker's headlining that gig. It should be pretty fun. Um, I think there's a limited, like there's a limited number of tickets for all these gigs. So, look online if you want to book. Just Google this stuff. Um, also, if you follow my Instagram at Louis Garnham, L E W Y G A R N H A M. I I usually put all, all the gigs up in my Instagram stories and whatnot. And I'm doing a gig at the Catfish doing two shows there on the 8th of December, which is a Tuesday. Get down to that. And I'm doing another one at Comedy Republic, and I can't remember the date of that, but um, they're doing shows throughout the next few weeks, and they'll all be great. So just go see some comedy. Whatever. Who cares? Um, like this podcast or whatever. Do you like a podcast? Yeah, just like click like, subscribe to it. Um, do you know? Do all the shit that people that make podcasts want you to do i'm really enjoying making it there's a new episode every week if this is your first time keep listening i'm, I'm really glad to have you on board and i've got some really exciting guests coming up i recorded this podcast on the lands of the Kulin nation in melbourne on the, on the lands of the Kulin nation and i would like to pay my respects to the wurundjeri and the bunwurrung people and 
their elders past, present and emerging. And I'd like to say that sovereignty was never ceded in this country. Uh, the intro music for this podcast is done by a band called Silt. They're a Melbourne band and you should definitely check them out. Also, I forgot to, in advance, ask Pat to give me a, an artist recommendation, which is something I do at the end of every, every episode. Um, and he sent me one afterwards because he, he couldn't think of one on the spot. Um, and I hope I'm saying this right, but he sent me more blessing, mature, ur. So more blessing, M-O-R-E-B-L-E-S-S-I-N-G, M-A-T-U-R-U-R-E. I don't know if I said that right, if I pronounced that right, but they're playwright, actor, activist. She's been um, involved in recent pushes for diversity in the arts and she did a TEDx talk which he really recommends he reckons that was amazing um so check that out check all that stuff out and I'll see you next week have a great week this is episode 13 of Can I Borrow Your Mind with this week's guest Patrick Livesey cheers Um, so I had written The Boy George and uh, Nui Takoa, I think, is like the head entertainment reporter for the Herald Sun. And he called me up the day of the Fringe Guide launch and was like, uh, I really like the sound of your show. I'm like, I'm a big fan of the Royals. Let's do a chat. And I was like, holy shit, because this is my first show and the Herald Sun wants to talk to me about it. But was just not ready whatsoever for the line of questioning. And he went in hard and was just like... <laughs> what do you think about the royal family? Do you think they're like a stain on society? And I was like, oh, I love the royal family. I have so much respect for the royal family. It was like, not the reason I wrote the show whatsoever. <laughs> but like, wasn't ready to be telling, wasn't, wasn't armed and ready to be doing this interview where I had to be ballsy enough to mm. be like, fuck the royal family. I'm telling yeah, the show. Yeah, like, yeah. like, expose them. Because, you know, you have to kind of put yourself into a mindset for that. And I just definitely was not. Did you then... Like, did you have subsequent interviews about that show? Yes. And were you more like, I was fuck more the royal family? Yeah, yeah. I was a bulldog. <laughs> no, I really wasn't. I think I... Because then it became about selling tickets. Mm. And it's. I think the appeal of that show was that people who liked the royal family would come, but also people who didn't like them would come. Yeah. And so then you slip into like marketing mode and you're like, it's for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then I find that... I think that this is a tricky area because... Mm then like sure you want to, you have to sell tickets and you yeah. ha- like you're like you know you're living hand to mouth is that the phrase yeah you're living hand to mouth <laughs> so you're like fuck i need to sell tickets i yeah. have this problem with comedy but also i don't want some fuckwit coming to my show mm. who's gonna hate it and just wreck the night because like, like if there's 20 people that all suck in mm. a 40 seater room mm. that's half the crowd that are mm. just like shit and not going to be enjoying it literally yeah and- i think that was the lesson that i learned after that experience was doing gone girls and every show that i've done so far has had a news core like slander article written about it yeah um being like <laughs> who, that's who- a great <laughs> you should put that on a poster yeah, every yeah. show i've done so that's great one- it was about Gone Girls and it was like, this is disgusting. They're, you, you know, they're complaining about violence against women, but then the tagline is like, um, a sledgehammer, an axe and a vial of poison. Like, this is filth. And then all the comments were like, that woman is hideous. And I was like, I'm not a woman. <laughs> um, but I think I learned my lesson there that I was like, I actually don't want people that disagree 
with me coming to the show. Yeah. It's like I want I want people that maybe think like, oof, what's this going to be about? Yeah. But I don't want some, someone seeing my show and coming and being like this fucking idiot. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Okay, but then... Um, leading on from that, mm-hmm. I had Tom Ballard on this podcast recently. Mm-hmm. You've worked with him in the past. Mm-hmm. I want to know your opinion on... I was sort of asking him about um, like whether he thinks that his art can change people's minds about the world and therefore whether it can change the world. And mm. is that a, a driving force of creating art? And he sort of said, yeah, sure, it can do that a little bit, but it's not... It's not he bas- he sort of said like it's not that influential and i kind mm. of disagree with him like yeah. i think so then would you with your shows yeah. are you trying to change people's minds about things or are you yeah yes and no like i think that's a hard question because you're asking the person to be like how <laughs> how much do you think of yourself like you yeah. know you're asking <laughs> like, how influential do you think he that's is so and true. of course he's going to yeah, say no be, yeah, but yeah. like tom is influential like tom has like been at the forefront of like the conversation about like offshore detention. Mm. Um, yeah. the, I, I think he is very, and his podcast is amazing. Definitely. Um, but I, th- I think for my work, yes, that's why I started writing my own shows because I went to a drama school that was like, you should own, you know, they said day one, you're not going to make any money off of this. So why do you want to do it? And so I came out of this like very arty, very intense world being like, I'm doing shows for this reason and yeah. it's to, I want to talk about privilege and I want to talk about power and I want to talk about um, the patriarchy but then at the same time I'm like I also want to entertain people yeah yeah totally and so it'd be lovely if people come and change their minds um, that is kind of an underlying principle of it but I more so hope that they enjoy themselves yeah because yeah. I kind of give people the credit that they're very intelligent and they're going to take out of it what I put into it, but also they make up their own minds. Definitely. And they have their own and opinions. And I think it was nice doing a show that was like um, in drag and also very much like a fuck you to Australian politics. And it was the most successful show I've done in terms of people coming to see it. Yeah. So it's like, I think you do tap into something and not everybody there would have agreed with what I was saying, but everyone could kind of get the sentiment that like, something's off here yeah yeah and yeah i like the way this person has gone about it. yeah okay can we so which uh, should we talk about the boy george first because sure. that came before um can you for the listeners and for me really because i never saw it like explain that show a little bit so that show was something it was the first thing that i'd written coming out of drama school because i wasn't getting any work <laughs> and i was like no i prepared for this i knew this was gonna happen yeah <laughs> and so I, I thought i was gonna i tried writing this like shitty autobiographical play about you being a young person and like life being hard <laughs> <laughs> And I was writing it being like, yeah, this is really bad. Um, But I'd already registered the show. And this is the thing with doing a fringe show, as you'll know, is Mm. you just have to throw yourself in the deep end. You're like, I'm going to do it. And it's six months away, but I'm going to do it. And then over that six months, you're like, why the fuck did I decide to do this? What am I doing? Um, But luckily, uh, in that time, Harry and Megan got married. Mm. Um, thank you. And my grandma <laughs> came over to watch the royal wedding with my sister and I in Melbourne. She came over. Um, and because my family is obsessed with the royal family. And my grandma was 
commentating the entire time to this thing because you know this is someone who's grown up with the royal family is obsessed with them and i was just looking at her and thinking like how the fuck do these people have this much influence still and it's like i'm here sitting here caring about what they do and then i was like i'm gonna do a show about that like i'm gonna take my you know lame ass attempt at talking about what like what was me privilege and just be Prince George of Cambridge. So the show was set 10 years in the future. A 14-year-old Prince George is having to fight to save the monarchy because the queen is dead and the people are revolting against the royal family. And so it's set in his bedroom. It's one hour. It's real time. And it's him coming up with a plan to save his throne. And Um, it's just you on stage. It's just me on stage. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It was was terrifying. The The opening night... And, you know, I think creatives, <laughs> we're funny. We do, we do a lot of things without realizing what we're doing. So, like, I was writing the show but not rehearsing it. Yeah, so, I was writing yeah. the show up to, like, two weeks before and then realizing I actually hadn't <laughs> rehearsed the show. And so, I did one run of the show to a friend and then was like, that was terrifying. I'm never doing that again. <laughs> and then kept... And then so... By the time I opened in Adelaide, I'd done that show once and wow. people and the show starts with me sitting on a, uh, a couch and the audience is coming in and it's sold out as but it's tiny venue. So it's 38 people coming in and I was sitting there thinking, I'm going to have to stand up and call this. I, I, I'm not going to be able to do this. this and is- then at what point I've had this feeling as yeah. well. And then like, can you, it's a hard thing to remember, but can you remember like what, um, what inside you was like now nah, fuck this i'm i'm doing it like is there Mate, was there some weird mantra you fucking <laughs> said to yourself like you know you've just got to do it or was it like simply like a it doesn't matter if it is shit like um, what got you to stand up yeah i actually that's a really good question i think i was sitting there and just thinking to myself like I cannot stand up now and not do this mm. show that people have bought tickets for, that I've done interviews for. Like, that's just so lame. Imagine if you had just walked up. <laughs> it was, I it can't tell you the fear that ran through my body of just like, I don't know my words. Yeah. I don't know this character. Yeah. I was having to do an accent. This accent's going to sound dumb. People are going to think I'm stupid. And then, but I, I, I think part of it was like, I'd written this show because my mum had passed away during drama school. And so, you know, being sappy about it, part of me was just like, just do it for her. Like the reason wow. you did this yeah. is for her. Stand up and do the fucking show. Yeah, yeah. And, and I did it and it was great. That's beautiful. And it then <laughs> was that opening night, like I know there was, I, I know a lot of people that saw that show and I know it was an amazing show. Was that opening night one of the good ones? Like, was that like, you know how some of the nights mm. are like, that was a mm. bit of a shit night. Mm. How was that opening night? It was insane because i was just running on adrenaline yeah and there was a there was a moment like maybe 10 minutes in where i turned there was this there was photos of the royal family um and i i talk about something about kate middleton and i turned and forgot everything (laughs) i was staring at kate middleton just thinking I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's about to happen. And, 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 you know, it felt like eternity. It probably was like, you know, maybe 10 seconds. But then you, you pick it up and you keep going. Um, but yeah, that show was just... But I think that's why it worked is because this show is... The show was about someone in panic mode trying to save their ass 
and I was in panic mm. mode trying to save my totally, ass in front of all yeah. of these people. And so it was just kind of that weird thing where it just worked. Yeah. The adrenaline, my nerves, how much I cared about it all just went straight into the story. You had the same energy that he would have had in that yeah, situation. Yeah. yeah. And because I was playing a 14 year old. I think people were willing to forgive all of my like bizarre little like yeah 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 he's a kid (laughs) and then can we um like without dissecting it too much in Mm. case you do another season of it or whatever Mm. like we don't want to give away all of it but like yeah is it is it condemning of the royal family or Mm. is it what what sort of yeah line does it take i think yes and no it's because it's like at the it's condemning of power structures and like this this kind of innate hierarchy that the royals represent and so in one of the speeches george talks about you know what it's like growing up being told that you're just a bit better than everybody yeah and that like there is a there is a natural law of um privilege and like i just happen to be at the top of that but at the same time i also what i always want to do is make sure that i'm not preaching to the choir but also i'm not going so far down a road that i'm exposing myself to very obvious criticism and not in the sense that i don't want people to critique it in the sense that i want people to invest in the story yeah and if there's huge fucking holes in the story there's going to be some person sitting there being like but what about this yeah and so in all of my shows i try and write from my perspective and then try and argue against that perspective and i think that's just i think that's just what a lot of writers do but it's definitely something that i have to teach myself because you just kind of want to spew your own opinions and so with the royal family i kind of wanted to be like well why do they work and so i use trump as an example of like in the uk in our commonwealth trump kind of can't happen because there is like this consistent um you know guiding hand looking after the whole process that some kind of like crazy populist ideologue it's kind of the system is built against that it's really interesting and so i wanted to convey that and yeah it's yeah i don't try and pursue a point too hard because at the end of the day you just need to tell a really good story yeah you use all of that as fuel to the fire and so you throw in all of those arguments and you have the character speak to all of those arguments and then you forget about it um i think like i was talking to someone recently like growing up in the royal family or the the trump family would be a good example like i always think about people's upbringings and where they come from and struggle and i always think Mm. of struggle as being poor Mm. um but (laughs) i'm not saying that i'd rather (laughs) but if you were born into like the murdoch empire or the trump empire or something Mm. you are being raised in an environment that is i'm not going to say just as restrictive as being dirt poor but it's so restrictive in Mm. so many ways like you Mm. have no chance of becoming like Mm. do you know what i mean you're Mm. always going to like and then the other now this the second thing you said just then at the end um in terms of the monarchy like being this sort of stabilizer and preventing like Mm. that trump could never happen in the commonwealth Mm. obviously it's it's a good thing if trump would like if there's less trumps i'm happy with that yeah yeah but then also um at some point don't you have to be like fuck this monarchy like yeah. they're, they're, they're they're causing so much pain as well and maybe they're doing it in a more subtle way yeah, yeah. and a more sort of uh 
prim and proper way. Well, this and that's like kind of like the learning curve that I went on because then I think I then did another show called Gone Girls where I was like, just fucking blow it all up. Just yeah. like literally detonate the entire thing because then you go as you know <clears throat> part of my growth as a person was then branching out a bit more in terms of the reading I was doing and the people I was listening to <clears throat> and then you ask yourself like can effect can you know this old super rich um, super white European colonialist empire can that ever really be a good thing and I think the answer is no mm. and we kind of just need to open ourselves up to the possibility of something else yeah um, but it's kind of it's kind of hard to say that so <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah. it's um, yeah I say it too often and I get in a lot of arguments yeah <laughs> in life um, and also hard, so hard to say that in a play because yeah like you were oh. saying before you just don't want to be didactic no and anytime you start um, yeah talking about big things like that I don't know it's it's hard to not come off as a dick I reckon a lot of the time and people just shut down yeah and, and it's kind of like I was listening to a, a podcast with Van Batten recent Van Batten recently and she was talking about like why being a progressive is so hard and it's because you're constantly thinking and imagining of possibilities that a lot of people don't or can't conceive of. Yeah. And so you're fighting against the status quo. And when you're a conservative, you're convincing people that the status quo is as good as it gets. And so then being like a progressive writer or creator, you've got this excuse, you've got even more imagination and even more possibilities in your mind. And you need to kind of stop and be like, okay, but what what is helpful and what's relevant? Yeah. And you need to distill your thoughts a little bit more. It's really interesting. It is, yeah. and it's yeah, it's it's really hard because you know you wanna you wanna present possibilities, but you wanna bring as many people as possible with you. Yeah, yeah. And so you kind of, I think it's just a process of trial and error. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. And then and then so Gone Girls, you went mm. with a more like fuck the system approach can you tell me about that so gone girls was um i'm obsessed with julia gillard just purely because i was 15 when she was prime minister and you know i just thought she was a shit she went to my school i know down the high girl (laughs) yeah and i think i was i was in like a, a julia gillard loving household as well same with the royal family and this is this thing i think of like learning to critique these people that you look up to it's like, I never looked after the royal family, but I really did look up to Julie Gillard. Mm. And then you realize that, you know, nobody's perfect, but also in Australia with our politicians, no, but like, they're really not perfect. Yeah. There's like a lot of shit that they do that's kind of fucked up. And so I wanted to do this show that was acknowledging what Julie Gillard did, but without, but at the same time, making it clear that I don't, you know, she's not all that. And so it's kind of a hard premise to begin writing a show because you want to be like, this person's awesome, but they're not that awesome. Yeah. And so... It- that, and that's exactly how I feel about yeah. Julia Gillard. Yeah. I yeah. wish I'd come and seen the show. Like I, like the misogyny speech she yeah. did. Like I fucking... Yeah, I listen yeah. to that sometimes. Like it's it jeez me up. But then I look at some of the, the things she did yeah. and I'm like, fuck you, you know? The, and it's like the famous one... Um, is that like that week or the week before she'd voted to kick um, like just under 200,000 single mums off the single parent payment. Yeah. Um, so it's like... The, and the, then did the misogyny And then did speech. the misogyny speech. And this is where like um, I get annoyed by like progressive in mm. quotation marks, like progressive 
sort of neoliberal mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And I think this is just such a big common thing. And like you say it with supporters of the Democrats in America mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and the Labor Party here is that like mm-hmm. people love the misogyny speech mm-hmm. and like good people love it. And they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm not, I don't want a world with sexism and it's sweet. And they, they love, they like quote the misogyny speech. Fuck yeah. But yeah, when it comes to the actual, like the bare bones of it, like... Hillary Clinton would have she she you know she wanted the minimum wage to be to be much lower or, or whatever mm, and mm. that would have affected single women mostly. Mm-hmm, mm, mm. Yeah, there's a level of critical analysis that I actually think we're moving beyond. Mm. Like I, I we talk me and my boyfriend talk about this a lot. Um, is that when Obama got voted in, I think a lot of people around the world like were like. <gasps> Oh, thank mm-hmm. God. You know, like we've gotten past the Bush years. Mm-hmm. We've gotten past that, like, you know, objective evil mm-hmm. that was the Iraq war and all of, and the response to 9-11. Um, and I think a lot of progressives just got really lazy yeah. and were like, there's a black man in the office, all is right in the world. And that was the period where, you know, neoliberal capitalism became its most fucked up form Mm. because the banks weren't bailed out and everything just rolled on as it was before the global financial crisis and that's then what caused like the total fucking devastation in american society that polarized everybody that created a culture and a landscape where someone like trump was able to become of influence and i was reading this article yesterday about um i can't remember what they're called but it's like a Israeli firm that was hired by the Trump campaign to run the PSYOP that convinced people that Hillary Clinton was satanic, that she ate babies, all that kind of stuff. Startlingly effective. And it's it was just like, it was enough to convince a small number of people not to vote for Hillary, which allowed Trump to win. But basically, it just sowed, I think, progressives' laziness, sowed the seeds for... Trump, and it's not just that, but I do think there was not enough people critiquing the Obamas, critiquing the Clintons with like, you know, valid critique. And I think it became really hard to do that because it was like, well, who else have we got? Yeah. Yeah. And I just, and that's happening now with Biden. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just thankful that I look around and I think that we've grown as a culture that we're able to have harder conversations Mm. and it's like we're able to talk about Biden as like a better option, but not but still, the best option. Yeah, yeah. And I think we've just got, we've all just got a lot more mature and a lot bolder and a lot more critical. And I do think we're moving past that like unfettered worship of progressive politicians. Well, that's very exciting. I think it's exciting. I yeah. think it's really exciting. Yeah. And again, maybe it's just like the people that I see on my social media, but it's like, you know, you look at the the election just passed and you know you watch cnn and they're like isn't it amazing that biden was so smart to go to georgia in the week before and it's like no isn't it amazing that stacy abrams worked for four years to register unregistered voters which swung the state yeah and it's like i think progressives realized what that how they went wrong and they organized and people are now taking it so seriously that you know there's community springing up through organization and during the election um after the election i watched knock down the house on netflix have you seen no. it it's it's the story about how um aoc was was put into congress was nominated for congress and i'd seen it before but i watched it again because it's just a great testament to organization yeah and i think that's 
been the win of this election is people organizing and i think that's been the big lesson yeah that's beautiful um that's i feel like that's such a good analysis and so much more optimistic than the way i usually think about (laughs) politics you know especially american politics yeah yeah. that that makes me feel really good Mm, Um, i'm glad so (laughs) so gone girls was about julia gillard Mm. And Julie Sorry, Bishop. Yeah, we went on a tangent. There. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, that so, was a great tangent. Good, I really like that. So, I started writing this show about Julia Gillard. Um, well, I had this idea because I wanted to play Julia Gillard because I thought that would be really funny because I think she's just such a character. And I was like, I could do that. Yeah. I could play her. And like, um, have fun with it, but still imbue it with love and affection. And which I think is what great drag is about. Uh, and then I just had this idea of her and then it was the same time that Julie Bishop lost the, um, you know, was kind of backstabbed in that WhatsApp chat and wasn't, um, didn't become prime minister. And it was just that I you know, it's a different time, even though it was like two years ago, but it just would have been nice for her to be prime minister. Like I do not agree with her whatsoever and I hate the liberal party, but it just would have been nice for her to get up for a year. Yeah. And then someone else get in. Yeah. And so I was feeling upset by that. And it was, and so I thought about what if, what if Julie Bishop and Julie Gillard, you know, were in love and they had this like secret pact between them where it was like, <laughs> if you don't win, then I'll win. And then it all fell apart. And so I wrote this, I started writing this play where, um, yeah, they meet on day one of politics of Parliament. They both joined Parliament in 1998. They meet on day one initially they're enemies soon they learn to love each other and then they begin to bring down they uh plan to bring down the patriarchy julie bishop loses and then they're like let's just blow it all up let's blow up fucking parliament house and it didn't work it was it was the melbourne season it didn't work for various reasons but it was just like it was a big idea that didn't have long enough to cook and so then what I, didn't work about it that sounds fantastic it, like, was, the, it sounds the like, like it would work the idea was super fun but there was just various elements that didn't come together because mm. um, it's just hard like when you're doing a drag show that's like a huge hurdle to get past because if it's not good drag then people are being like who like who are these yeah, freaks yeah, standing yeah. on stage in wigs yeah. and like bizarre that's costumes. almost like the first hurdle and I think that was the big problem. And then just the show, yeah, it, it just didn't come together. But again, I'd already registered for Adelaide and Perth. Yeah. And so <laughs> um, the person that had played Julie Bishop um, couldn't do the show again. And so I had to find someone else. Uh, one of my friends, Belle, we went to uni together. She's amazing. She came on board. And then we did like proper development, proper workshopping, proper rehearsals. And together we found with um, my boyfriend Will, we found this show that was fucking awesome. So cool. And it just like it it realized what was right about the idea and what was not working, and it just took it to another level that I'm really proud of. Um, and we're doing the show at Gasworks next year in July and August. Really? If, um, anyone listening would like to come see it? Gasworks in South Melbourne, um, which is really exciting. It's the first time someone's programmed my work. That's so sick. Which I'll be sick. there for sure. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. So, so it's exciting. Just, it, yeah, it just became what it was meant to be, which was really fun, really silly. Yeah. And like so obviously political that you can't fault it. Yeah. Whereas I think the first time around, I was trying to be a bit sneaky and being like, this isn't political. It's like, it's a right. drag satire. Like, of yeah. Course. 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you just you, it was just such a different style to the boy George that I just it took a little longer to find it yeah and like the boy George did you just do that at the Adelaide Fringe or did you take that more places um, I also did it at Melbourne Fringe I also did it at Perth Fringe and I did it in Wellington Fringe did that one grow and adjust as well did yeah. it get better or did it uh, it got better I think had I done more proper work on it like I did I did a I did more rehearsals and I did more writing but I didn't really it was like let's just refine what this is as opposed to let's blow it apart and see yeah, what else it could be yeah. but it did it did get better and I had an amazing moment on the closing night in Wellington which was the last time I was going to do the play because at that point I'd done it over a hundred times and I was like I don't want to do this anymore yeah um and I was in Wellington and there was just this amazing moment where uh, George has to put on his school uniform to go out and face the world and in the show I make a big gag about not being able to do up my shoelaces and not being able to do up my tie and the audi- people from the audience jumped up to help me put on my <laughs> shoes and put up my tie and I was just like oh, you're really with me here yeah. like, you, like they were so in it that they're like god this poor little guy he just needs some help and so and then when i was and then i you know they they helped me get the uniform on and i do i turn back around and i thank them all and i do like a little thumbs up and everyone just applauded me and and then i turn around and the door doesn't open and it's like then it's the final act of the play but it was just yeah it was really cool to know that the play that the story had gotten to and the telling of the story had gotten to a point where it was really genuinely yeah, to, affecting to people. To the point where they were just fully Hell in it. No in one's it. fucking, oh, what? how much longer is there left? <laughs> yeah. No one, yeah. you know? I mean, maybe like, they were. Maybe they're like, let's help this guy put his fucking clothes on so we can get <laughs> so out of here. So we can get out. <laughs> yeah, clap him. It's probably <laughs> yeah, over. Yeah, get out, get out, get out. <laughs> yeah, that's my like romanticized version of <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> um, like, yeah, it did get better. Are you and you're doing a show next year, a, a new show? Yeah, I'm doing a play called Dirt, um, which is not my play. It's a play that uh, Will and I we commissioned. Um, we commissioned a friend to write because I was originally going to do a play that I've been writing about my mum, but I I think after the lesson of Gone Girls was like let's not rush something if it's not ready. Yeah, and that just wasn't ready, and so I had the theatre at Holden Street. Um, theaters in Adelaide and Martha the artistic director is so supportive yeah I know her she's a legend yeah she's really awesome and she was like look if that show's not ready then anything you want to do we'll put on and I didn't want to write anything because I'd already established that I didn't have time to write something (laughs) and so me and Will were talking about it and we're like well let's let's look for a two-person play that we can do the only two-person play that we could find was either two like old old men like a waiting for godot type thing or it was a young hetero couple talking about how the woman's ovaries are getting past their due dates and it was just like okay so there's not a written play that we can do because turns out the yeah there's just like a very limited canon of work Mm. out there when you start getting specific about it and for two you know young queer male identifying people there just wasn't something that we were like this means that's us it, this us also this means right, anything right like there was yeah, a lot that we yeah. could have done that was just like but why yeah like, why we do yeah, that yeah, now? yeah yeah um and so we were t- we were talking a lot about um in chechnya which is a republic in russia 
since 2017, gay people have, uh, queer people, gay and lesbian people have been uh, kidnapped, tortured, some murdered, some disappear, um, a lot flee. And it's been denied by the president, the head of state of Chechnya, and then Putin has denied it as well. Um, Why has it been happening since 2017 specifically? I don't know. That was just the first year. Just when it started happening and then it just. um, Because in 2013, the Russian parliament passed the propaganda laws where, you know, not only can you not say or speak about homosexuality, but there's like a number of things that you can't talk about. Mm -hmm. And it's part of this effort by the Russian government to instill, quote, quote unquote, family values because they really do see themselves as like the protectors of traditional values in the world because the West is falling to shit. And so, unfortunately, a lot of people are uh, becoming victim to it, but queer people in particular. Mm. And um, it's just been happening for quite a while. And so we were like, let's, maybe there's something here. Not many people know that it's happening. Um, Maybe we can talk about this. And then, so we found, we commissioned a friend of ours to write the play. And then the more we spoke about it, because then we had to speak about like authorship is this a show we can tell? Is it a, sh- is it a story we should be telling? Um, and we decided that, you know, there is like a, a grain of um, understanding there because these are people that are, you know, being persecuted because they're queer. We are also queer. We may not be Russian, but it's not their Russianness that's coming under the microscope. It's their queerness. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. so we thought, yeah, yeah cool. That, you're, you're in solidarity with them because of the queerness. Exactly, not- exactly. And we're not, we're not telling the story in Chechnya because Chechnya is a um, Muslim-majority state. And so there's there's a whole other thing there with um, their religion coming into play that we just we can't speak to. Yeah, we do yeah. not know enough about it. But we do. We set the play in Moscow. Um, but the the more we were working on it, the more we realised that it's kind of this interesting argument about what do we owe other people and what responsibilities do we have to one another? Like in the micro, as in like literally you and I, but also the macro of like do we as Australian citizens need to care about what's happening in Russia? Do we need to care about what's happening in America? And then at the same time, you have this amazing parallel of this virus like ripping through the world and being like, you're all connected whether you like it or not. And so again, it was just, there there was enough there to be like, yeah, this is a cool play that we could do. Absolutely. Mm. With with that, um, do we need to care? Um, Mm. Like I think it's... it's, um, yeah, we, we absolutely do need to care about all these things. And yeah, like you said, the virus has made us all connected and also just our way of life. Like we're a global society mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. as much as we like try to sort of deny that yeah, in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah. But the thing is, is that it's so fucking overwhelming. Like mm-hmm. that's happening in Russia. Yeah. Like and Everything then else is happening on Flinders else. Street, there's heaps of homeless people and then like the climate's getting hotter and then trans people are getting you know yeah like killed daily yeah, yeah. and then yeah. in africa mm. there's that going on and mm. then like there's the sex trade there mm. and it's just like so and then like much. i'm here in melbourne in a position of privilege mm. and like wanting to use that position mm. of privilege mm. to impact the world in a good way mm. but it's just like what do you do and like where do you start and it's all so overwhelming and it's, do you know it's, what I mean? it's kind of it's like a pandora's box because you can just not tune into that and i think a lot of people do that 
um, I just can't. Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. know. I made a decision at some point growing up where like I chose to care about things that weren't affecting me. And then once you make that decision, you can't, yeah. you can't stop caring about yeah. it. It's just yeah. like, well, I've fucked it's myself. A life here. of pain and it's, misery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking refugees are still there. Yeah, like, no, it's no, just, yeah. But it's like, I don't know what the answer is. I think my answer is just to try and tell stories about it. Yeah. Um, to try and draw some attention to things as they come. But even that's kind of, kind of shallow. So yeah. I don't know. I was going to ask you why you became an actor. Is this like linked in there at all? Or is, is the acting more just like a uh, sort of like a less logical or pragmatic thing and just something that you always felt you wanted to do like deep down? Yeah, well, I was having a conversation about this this morning actually because I'm yeah writing this play about my mum and I'm kind of dissecting my life and her life and what so my mum took her own life in 2015 um having battled mental health problems uh for my entire life and most of her life as well um so this play is trying to uh, dissect her experience through my experience and kind of try to understand what happened like why was being a mum so important that she was willing to sacrifice so much including her own happiness like why mm. was being a wife so important that you know she did all of the all of these things um and so i think part of my realization is that she was in her life like as like somewhat of a storyteller like through her own actions really liked to create and kind of manipulate and manufacture scenarios for how cool and amazing they were or um on the flip side how tragic they were and so I think I've grown up with a sense of story my yeah. entire life and a sense of like, wouldn't this make a cool story kind of perception? Because I think that's what, how my mum thought if, even if she didn't consciously realize it, like I think she thought of things in terms of how they were perceived by other people. Yeah. And if they were perceived well by other people, then it was worth it. Um, and do so- you think like we don't need to get into this if it's too personal but mm. do you think ultimately in some ways that was a negative thing for your mum that Very she much so. thought of the world like that yeah I think because she was a romantic and she was willing to romanticise really awful situations mm. um, and so she was in not only a personal place that she shouldn't have allowed herself to be in for so long but she was in um, like a financial and romantic situation that was damaging to both people um, but I was speaking to my sister about this yesterday that it's like with that kind of perspective on life it's not like it was that relationship that was the problem it's the fact that mum looked for those relationships that it was just like it's either ecstasy or it's tragedy right yeah um, and I think when you look at the world in your own life like that something bad's gonna happen yeah well you're just um, yeah it's gonna be anxiety inducing and and yeah, and she I, only operated I can relate on, to that. Yeah, like, yeah. I think, I, but I, I think a lot of people relate to it, which is kind mm. of like it's been a light bulb, light bulb moment recently with writing this play because I hit a bit of a dead end, and now I spoke to my sister yesterday about it, and it's kind of reinvigorated, <clears throat> reinvigorated the process because it's like, oh, there's a lot more here than I thought, but yeah, I kind of needed to hear my sister's critical analysis yeah. reflected back to be like, oh, true, that is how we live. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, cool. talking about how. Um, 
with my mum and my stepdad like it wasn't enough to just surprise us with concert tickets they would tell us we're going to the beach one night and then drive us to the Everton (laughs) Theatre and then be like surprise it's the performance it was the performance of it and like my mum used to say to me when I would be sad or when I was going through a hard time as a kid be like just think about how this will read in the biography one day like this is just a really good chapter in the biography like everything was about the performance and the perception of it so um, yeah I think to answer your first question, I think part of me has always thought and operated as a storyteller. Um, but then during high school, I kind of thought that was a bit silly and I didn't think that was like a worthwhile path to go down. And so I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a human rights lawyer. I wanted to do something with impact that was going to change people's lives. And then... I don't know, I think I got a bit more confident. Um, I was starting to come to terms with my sexuality and I was like, I actually don't need to do anything. I don't need to do something if it doesn't, if it's not right for me. Yeah. And if I think, if I want to do this performance thing, then I should maybe just fucking do this performance thing. Yeah. And so I did, I did year 12 drama and then, yeah. That's really interesting that that's tied to coming to terms with your sexuality, like that feeling of like, fuck it, I'm just mm. going to do what I want to do. Would you say that was like that moment was sort of linked? It was very much linked. So like I, cool. I put myself like deeply, deeply in the closet for most of school because I didn't want to be gay. And also I just thought there was a possibility that I couldn't, that I, that I could not be gay if I chose to. And so I just like didn't think about it, didn't acknowledge it, was just like, that's not me. And so pursued and again, crafted this life for myself mm. that was not that. That yeah. was everything but that. And like filtered how I spoke, filtered the things I was interested in, filtered, um, yeah, the friends that I had. Fuck, to, that's exhausting, man. It was, it was exhausting, but it was like great acting training. <laughs> <laughs> True, of course. Um, but then I just, I got to a point, a breaking point where... You know, I was in year 10, I was suicidal, I was doing too much, um, smoking too much weed, uh, was losing, literally losing my mind a little bit. Um, And I was just like, I can't do this. And so I, but bizarrely, I then went into overdrive. I then went into like the, the full manifestation of me as a straight person who's not gay, which was just like partying all the time like mm. hooking up with girls like you know when you go to parties and be like how many did you max yeah, tonight like, it was just like yeah. disgusting and really misogynistic um but it was what i needed i needed to just like confirm that i could do this yeah and then i just got to a point where i was like i can't i, I was just exhausted i was so exhausted and i'd surround luckily i'd surrounded myself with people that made me feel safe and so i slowly opened up to a few people and then when no one hated me and when that was received well it was like okay maybe i can go the full monty and so um yeah doing drama was kind of like me being like i can i can do this i can be like you know a bit a bit gay a bit like you know it was bizarre that drama to me was gay (laughs) (laughs) that's funny but it was but no i had friends that would like that were willing to do like a school musical as a piss up and I was like, thank God, I really want to do this. <laughs> yeah, can't wait. And so I did it. And then, you know, people were like, oh, like you're really good at this. You should keep doing it. And then I moved to Melbourne and then just was final evolution gay. And then um, like coming out mm. and telling everyone that you're gay, I sort of imagine that this is probably my romantic notion of it but like say you were at that really dark place where you were feeling suicidal and and just Mm -hmm. exhausted by Mm. this this 
thing you were doing before that and then and then you um tell people you're gay and and you come into your own was that like i imagine it like oh my god and you just have this incredible sort of moment but in reality is it more like of a gradual thing and and, and very, is, are you still depressed for a while as you're going through it, it sort of thing it was it was gradual by choice so i I told a good friend. No, I told my girlfriend at the time that I was bisexual and she didn't care. She was like, cool. And then that was kind of the first step. And then I told a mate that I was bisexual and that was cool. That was fine. Um, I started uh, going on dates with, after um, me and Amy broke up. I started going on dates with guys and that was cool. That was fine. Like, But at the same time, I was having to work through years of self-loathing and like denial. So the first time that I was intimate with another guy, I, my body, like afterwards I was, my body just shut down and I was so horrified. I was so disgusted. I didn't talk to him. Like I made him leave. Like I was just, and then never spoke to him again for like quite quite a while. Um, so it was a real process of having to work past this like stigma that I'd built up for myself Mm. and moving to Melbourne was a really big part of that. Yeah. So moving to Melbourne just let me become someone else. Yeah. And I was still bisexual when I moved to Melbourne and then very quickly was like, (laughs) I do not need to be bisexual. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, you're for anyone that's never been to a drama school, it is just a lot of hedonistic, uh, like sex drugs just rolling on the floor with each other like it is everything you think drum school could be like and yeah. more and so there was a lot of people um i was really given the opportunity to be like truly bisexual if i wanted to be and i was like i don't want to do that <laughs> <laughs> i'm really gay and but i i came to that realization on shrooms funnily, funnily really enough. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I was um, uh, like many great realizations. Yeah, yeah. Oh, literally, literally. If you're going through a hard point in your life, yeah, take some psychedelics. Yeah. Take it like be in a quiet space, and you'll get over it. Yeah, I was or, home- you, or you'll figure out what you need to do yeah, to get yeah, over it. Yeah, I was home alone, um, and there was these shrooms left over. And I was making a sandwich and I was like, there's only two of them or maybe three of them. I'll put them in the sandwich. I might get a little micro dose buzz. That's it. And I was high. (laughs) (laughs) I was sitting home alone, super, super high. And I was like journaling because that was part of my like first year drama school thing was journaling constantly. And I literally kept like writing a sentence and stopping writing another sentence and like being like, oh... I don't know how to finish that sentence. And like, it was, again, this thing of manufacturing storylines. I was, it was so obvious what I was doing. And eventually I went for a run. And as I was running, I was seeing like, I come out of this, I come out of my house and I saw this like young queer person walk past, like really effeminate. And I was like, oh God. And so I ran past that person. And then I ran past an AIDS poster. And then I ran past like a uni poster that said like, um, when will you become yourself kind of thing. It was just like, wow. it was outrageous. And I probably imagined half of it, yeah. if not all of it. But then I- ran- I don't know, man. There's some <laughs> there's some weird shit with those drugs. Like the world throws things at you in it those really moments does. that you need to see. I and, swear, it's and weird. And the, the greatest moment was then running down to the Maribyrnong River and arriving at the Buddhist temple that yeah. is on the Maribyrnong River and just stopping and looking up at this beautiful, big Buddhist- 
temple across the river and just stopping and sitting down and like I think I wrote a note to myself in my phone that was just I'm gay that's so cool I know, I know. and then every, and then my housemates came home and I was like you know still high and spewing out this experience and I'd written it all down and I was like give me two secs and I'd written and then came back in and was like so I went on this huge I went on this blah blah blah, blah. and I was like I'm gay and my housemates just looked at me and they're like Cool. <laughs> and then went back to what they were doing. <laughs> and I was furious. Yeah, you don't get it. I've just had this life-changing journey. <laughs> yeah. no, no one, if they weren't in that moment and on those shrooms, no one ever understands. No one, you can yeah. tell people back that story and no one will ever feel that, that intensity of it. Of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Wow. And then after that, I don't... I, yeah, honestly, past that point, I've never had an experience where I've like truly felt shame or doubt again yeah like i've had shitty experiences um you know being in a same-sex couple i've had shitty experiences uh when i've gone out and presented a bit more femme but i've never had like that same doubt like yeah, past that yeah. one day it, in, like, in yourself in myself the thing isn't yeah. there anymore it's like, yeah. this, this is me and i've got nothing to be ashamed of that's so cool yeah it is cool that's thank really god for cool. sure exactly they <laughs> are honestly and and like there's you know there's a lot of medical professionals who say like that they can be used in that way for exactly what you're talking about. Mm, it's uh, yeah, it's the it's the next step for the yeah, yeah. Medical community. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, I forgot to um, tell you this, but oh, maybe I didn't forget. I don't know. I can't remember. But I usually ask the guest at the end of each episode to recommend an artist. So it could be like an actor, a writer, whatever. Yeah, okay. But. I completely forgot to ask you. So, if you want, you can just send it to me and I'll mention it in the podcast. Great. Like, I'll do an introduction. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like you want to put some thought into it. And yeah, I think so. A good way. Nothing's coming to mind right now. Yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. You just send it to me later. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've been talking for quite a while. Ah, that this has been so fun. Oh, I really, yeah, it's been good. It's been such a nice chat. Um, thank you so much no, for joining you. me, Pat. Yeah.